Good morning. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. As Steve, your wonderful pastor, is away, it's a great honor to share God's word with you. It's an unspeakable honor. What, one of the things I love about Riverside is that you always set up the reading of Scripture with some sort of a little intro to um, give some uh, continuity to it. So let me, as an intro to the Scripture for this morning tell you about a worship service that Rolf and I went to a few years ago when we were in Chicago for a wedding, and on Sunday we were free and we went out to Willow Creek, a large contemporary church in the suburbs, which has a big campus. It was um, quite impressive. We hadn't ever been there before, and as we drove in this long drive, there are countless um, banner poles. I guess they're not flagpoles. They have banners. And the banners announce the theme of what that morning sermon and everything else for that week, I guess, is going to be about. And as we drove in the driveway, guess what the banners said? No. No. Another one. No. And then finally one said, the biggest no in Scripture. The deepest no in Scripture. Well, I don't want to... I I think you could probably imagine that as we passed all these banners, our enthusiasm for worship diminished. (laughs) It's sort of, oh my gosh, what are they going to tell us about what we've done wrong now? And we weren't the only ones who felt that way, because when we packed into this 5,000-person sanctuary, everyone was sort of sitting in the pews this way, (laughs) like, oh, brother. But guess what the biggest no was? This is how people often feel about the Ten Commandments, which is why I'm setting it up for you. That's what we're going to read. But what do you think the biggest no was that day? It wasn't the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine what the biggest no in all of Scripture was that day? It was relief to us. It was Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there was a gigantic sigh of relief from the congregation. Well, I don't know how you feel about the Ten Commandments. Maybe you feel that they're banners saying, no. Many of us feel that way, but I encourage you to listen carefully as I read it again for you. You may even know it by heart, but we're going to read it. And listen uh, with a fresh ear uh, to what God may be saying us that is not... Um, what we expected. Something very beautiful, actually. Hear God's word from Exodus 20, beginning in the first verse. The bulletin says through verse 17, but we're going to go through 20 if you're following along in your pew Bible. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. 
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your manservant nor maidservant nor animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in the six days, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Here ends the reading of God's word. May God add his blessing to the reading. And Lord, in your mercy, would you give us ears to hear you and give me lips to speak only what you would say. Thank you, my Lord. Amen. <clears throat> How difficult it is for most of us, for all of us, I think, but certainly for most of us, to read any familiar parts of the Bible with fresh eyes. Something just sort of glazes over when we come to those familiar parts because we already know them, we think, especially something as familiar and as straightforward as the Ten Commandments. They may be doctrinal, but they are straightforward, and we pretty much know what's in them, even if we can't recite them exactly. We know what's there. We also know the setting. We know that Moses had been called by God up to the mountaintop, Mount Sinai, in the middle of the wilderness, as he's leading for God, the children of God, out of slavery in Egypt for 400 years, leading them across into the promised land. And they're on the way when... They're in the midst of that journey, actually, when God calls him up to the mountaintop to receive uh, these words. We know that. We also know that the Ten Commandments are all essentially thou shalt nots, which is why we talked about the big no, from which we may deduce, uh, many have deduced, sort of a negative approach, as opposed to Jesus' more positive love your neighbor, love God and everything else. I love that. And this thou shalt not can evoke um, sort of a, a moralistic mindset all about sin and guilt. It may even uh, call to mind blind obedience to a threatening God. I've even heard it uh, thought of that way, though. Though I don't agree with that, but it can do all these things because it's so full of thou shalt not. And we don't really like that very much. 
At the very least, we know that the Ten Commandments were all written in the imperative. We know that the uh, Bible doesn't have exclamation marks, and certainly the Hebrew scripture didn't, but it has an implied exclamation point, doesn't it? And even maybe a pointed finger, thou shalt not. And this is big deal. This, this is the big, important command for us. And finally, we know that Moses was so angry when he brought back the Ten Commandments that he, he just threw them to the ground, broke them all up, because he found the people worshiping an idol. And it made him so upset that he, he just lost it, as they would say. And if you know uh, art, the great masterpieces, uh, the, great, the works of the great masters, you know that this scene of the fury of Moses is one of the most painted scenes in the Bible. And because we are people who remember images, a lot of us remember this angry Moses. Maybe we even remember an angry Charlton Heston and transfer that to our understanding that behind this angry Moses was an angry God who may have even looked like Charlton Heston for all we know because these images cloud what the scripture is really saying. And we might even have that image of an angry and threatening God confirmed if we listen to that last verse that I read where Moses is saying to the people who are so afraid, so afraid of God, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Well now, after reading all that, we've got to say the same thing that we said at Willow Creek. Wow. Wow, it's no wonder my friends didn't think the Ten Commandments was a very good topic for today. But listen to what I believe is a much different ending than I had imagined. Because last summer, I picked up a book. Are you constantly amazed at how a book or a sermon that you hear lifts up the word that you thought you understood in a way that you had never heard it before? Well, I was at Teze, a, a community, a Christian community in France with my grandchildren and daughter. And I picked up a book by one of the Teze brothers named Brother John. And Brother John had just written this book called Reading the Ten Commandments Anew. Because it was Brother John, I thought I would like to understand a new way of reading it. And that led me to study it more then throughout the year and to find out that my knowledge, what I thought I knew about this familiar passage was really off. It was, it was vastly incomplete. And I, in the end, saw the Ten Commandments as a great blessing, a tremendous blessing, one that I love and want to share with you, which is why uh, that's the scripture for today. So let me tell you what I found out. I found out, first of all, and maybe you know these things. Isn't it funny when you read a book and you think, oh my gosh, it turns out everybody else already knew it, but I didn't know it. The first thing I learned was that the phrase Ten Commandments is found nowhere in the Hebrew Scripture, only in later translations, as in English or French or whatever it is. But the Ten Commandments, that word is not in there. In fact, the word translated commandment is the same word for word. 
So in the sentence, Moses wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant dash the Ten Commandments. It really says the words of the covenant dash the ten words, meaning the ten words of the covenant. In Hebrew, the word for Statutes and commandments is mitzvah. It's not in there. The word is debarim. It's words. These ten words were not only words versus commandments, though just having a word from God would have been a blessing to those folks. They, they couldn't imagine that God would speak to them. But this wasn't just words. These were words of the covenant. And you know about words of the covenant of God. How are they spoken? They're never spoken in anger, right? They're never spoken in judgment. They're always spoken in love. There was no angry God in this scene. There was a God offering his covenantal love. Moses was angry, yes, not God. To be sure, the Israelites were afraid of God, as it says, because they had lived for 400 years amongst pagan gods whose fiery temper and capriciousness did need to be placated. And the instinct of all the pagan people was to say, woo, not too close, I'm standing back because the gods were not trustworthy. There was never a god who spoke to them of love. There never was. So no wonder they were afraid. This was all new to them. God the communicator, God who wanted to communicate his love to them and then give them a way to respond back. They hadn't yet learned how to live with all this new understanding of God. Nowhere does it say Ten Commandments and nowhere does it say that there was an angry God. Secondly, these ten words, I'll call them, these ten words of the covenant, are never mentioned as a kind of moral law for the culture at large. They're never a civic uh, list of laws. They're clearly given to people whom God has invited to live in relationship with him in this covenantal love. If you read all the chapters up to this pivotal chapter 20, it's all about you are my beloved, I provide for you, I'll care for you, a fire by day, a fire by night, and a cloud by day, I'll lead and guide and care for you. It's all about that. And so to to think that um, this was for the whole world at large would be to miss the big point. The big point was that the first four commandments were all about how to stay tightly in the covenant, the commandments or words. Out of that, the six come, the six which might be good laws for society, they indeed are the ones we know by heart, not to dishonor parents or to commit murder or to commit adultery or to steal or to lie or to covet. Those are good laws. But that wasn't the point of what he was giving them that day. They cannot be read as civic laws. They rest on the first four, which is all about the relationship. The relationship of love, which transforms our behavior. Behavior doesn't come first. The transforming love of God comes first. Thirdly, 
The ten words, which traditionally start with verse 2, really start with verse 1, this love already given to them. It's never about starting with how we can prove ourselves to God to earn his love. It starts with the uh, verse I read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know that when I did a computer search for images of the tablets, these tablets on which these laws were written, I must have seen a zillion uh, tablets in art and literature all over the place. And only two out of the, I don't know how many hundreds I saw, included verse 1. They all started with which one shall and shall not do. And so they missed the whole point. And what is the point? The point is that far from telling us how to earn God's favor, it's all about a love that comes first, always, always has, always will. It's about the grace of God. Even before we met Jesus, incarnational grace, Scripture is all about God's love coming first. Let me read a quote from Brother John. We're near the end. The entire Bible, he says, in fact, is not, first of all, an instruction book as how we humans should act. It is not just a set of laws. God's identity and activity, totally unique among all other gods, always comes first. And human beings can do absolutely nothing to merit the attention and compassionate care that God bestows. All we can ever do is live a life of response to the covenant invitation, this great embracing love, either saying with our lives a very grateful yes or a no thank you. Which means that these ten words, these ten words are simply and wonderfully what that grateful response would look like if we were to become a transformed and commissioned people of God. There's no point of finger. There's no exclamation point. In fact, the scholarship shows it's written not in the imperative but the indicative. There are no exclamation points. Rather than saying, do not kill, or as we may read it, you will not kill, rather than being phrased that way, do you know what it says? I love this. It says, when you live with me, you won't kill. You won't covet. You won't commit adultery. You won't lie. You won't steal. You won't bear false witness against your neighbor because you'll be a new creation. You will be my transformed people. You won't go down, go dancing around false idols like success and popularity. You won't do that. You'll love keeping the Sabbath day holy because you'll love that day of rest with me. The ten great words turn out to be not a series of commands at all, but a promise of what life, the life of a covenant people, can look like. That's us. 
That's us transformed by the love of God. All beginning with his giving heart, which elicits from us that same kind of heart uh, 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 and brings us to a journey beyond this worldly existence, not because the world is evil, but because the human heart, your hearts, mine, are made for something so much greater. So I end with a more accurate translation of that paragraph about fear and testing and sin. Listen to what the actual Hebrew says. Do not be afraid. God has come to refine you, not test you, to refine you, to make you into something more beautiful so that reverence and awe will keep you from missing life. None of us wants to miss life. What a mighty God we serve to give us a picture of what that life might look like. Thanks be to God. Amen.